As we continue through 1 Timothy, we want to continue to, to talk and look at what God's Word says about how a church should behave, how a church should be structured. And this morning we, we move to leadership and what qualifications does God expect from leadership? I don't know if I've read this before, but here's a letter that was read by a pulpit committee. They were looking for a pastor of their church. They were fed up, hadn't found anyone, and it was getting nowhere. And they got a letter from an experienced Christian leader. I understand your church is looking for a pastor. I should like to submit my application with my qualifications. I am generally considered to be a good preacher. I have been a leader in most of the places I have served. I have also found time to do some writing on the side. Some say I'm a good organizer. I'm over 50 years of age, and while my health is not the best, I still manage to get a great deal done. As for a reference, I am somewhat handicapped. I have never served in any place more than three years, and the churches where I have preached generally have been pretty small, even though they were located in rather large cities. In all honesty, many have said my sermons are boring, but I stick to the Bible. I don't believe in time constraints, and some sermons have gone on an hour or more. No comments. I am not too good at keeping records. I have been known to forget whom I have baptized. Some places I had to leave because my ministry caused riots and disturbances. When I stayed, I did not get along too well with other religious leaders in town, which may influence the kind of references these places will send you. I have also been threatened several times, been physically attacked. I must admit I have been in jail three or four times, but not because of any real wrongdoing on my part. You will need to know that there are some men who follow me around undermining my work. Still, I feel sure I can bring vitality to your church. If you can use me, I should be pleased to be considered. The boards looked at each other after reading this and said, Well, what do you think? Should we call them? They were shocked. Call a troublemaker, unhealthy, ex-jailbird, trouble, um, boring pastor? He could not possibly be an effective pastor, let alone be accepted by the community. Who was this candidate anyway? And the board member read the, the signature. Sincerely, the Apostle Paul. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting what we expect from leaders and what qualifications we put on leaders. Would Paul be qualified to preach the Gospel and preach the Word? Absolutely. But we look at all kinds of other different qualifications in deciding what leaders should be in the church. And we are, quite frankly, in a crisis of leadership in the church. In America, we have a crisis of leadership where we are watching men fall into sin. We are watching men walk away from ministry. We are watching churches die, churches stray from the gospel. We are watching false teaching rising every day. I, I read it in the blogs and in the news. Why? I would contend with Paul as he writes 1 Timothy that one of the reasons is we're not putting the right men into leadership. We have missed the mark when it comes to deciding what our qualifications should be. We maybe decide qualifications based on popularity. Well, a lot of people like them. Let's have them lead. Or maybe political maneuverings in the church. Some churches may decide on prosperity. Who gives the most? Some people decide on, on secular ability. Well, he's good in his business. He'll be good in the church. Sometimes we decide based on need. We have a hole. I don't care if you're qualified. You're breathing. Awesome. You're, you're here. And when we come to leadership in the church, when we decide leadership on those things, we are destroying the church. And so today we come to 1 Timothy 
And we see Paul addressing a situation at Ephesus where Timothy is now ministering, where elders have gone astray. Where some elders, not all, but some elders are teaching falsehoods. Where there are leaders dividing the church. And Paul comes back to, let's, let's get the basics right. Let's get the qualifications right. And so we've seen in, in, in verse 8 of chapter 2 a call for men to engage in worship. We saw instructions to women to, to support and to allow men to lead. And then today we come back to men. And Paul is saying, okay men, this is what it means to be a leader in the church. This is a call to leadership this morning. And it's a call to be the type of leader God wants us to be. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, as we come to Your Word right now, I pray that You would convict us, that You would challenge us to be the kind of, of believers You want us to be, that You would challenge the men sitting here to step up and take risks and to step forward and lead Your church in a way that You want us to. Lord, may Your Word speak this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I'll just warn you, today we're trying to give an overview of eldership. Any one of these things might be a whole sermon. And so you may go away today thinking, well, we didn't get very deep on that issue or very in detail on that issue. That's how we're going to get through everything. But there are are ways that you can study more. I encourage you to study this passage, some of the other passages on leadership. I'll just say it up front, online we have a document called Biblical Leadership Qualifications that is eight pages of notes on leadership of elders, of deacons, and it goes through the different passages. So if you want some further study, open that up, download that, and um, study that a little bit more as well as our Constitution. But we're going to fly. So you ready to buckle your seatbelts and and move? Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. We'll stop right there because one of the first questions you should have is, what is an overseer? We don't have that in our constitution. We haven't elected an overseer with that title as as long as I've been attending here. So what is an overseer? And and we're going to give some background to help us understand what it means to be an elder and understand these qualifications. In the New Testament, there are three primary words that are used for overseer or elder or pastor. And and in fact, those are the three words. In your notes, I have blanks for you there. The first is an overseer, episkopos. And this means one who is in charge of an operation, a superintendent. And so this is the role of giving oversight to the entire church. The buck stops here. And so in that, in that, and that's the word we see here in the 1st Timothy 3 passage, although Paul also interchanges it with the next word, which means elder, presbyteros. And these words are used interchangeably, but this one tends to deal with an older gentleman or someone that is mature. Someone that has some wisdom, some experience. And so by, by Paul and the New Testament writers using different words, we actually see a, a wonderfully well-rounded view of what an elder should be. One who rules as an, as an overseer. An elder, one who has wisdom, experience, and maturity. And finally, poimen, we see the word for shepherd or pastor. 
shepherd or pastor, one that provides personal care to members, one that feeds and nurtures and protects. I think of a shepherd with sheep and he leads them to food and helps them eat and cares for them when they're sick. And those three words throughout the New Testament are used interchangeably for the same office. An office that we call elder. Elder slash pastor. And so whenever you're reading along and you see overseer, think elder. Okay, make sense? Whenever you see pastor, think elder pastor. It's all the same word, but just different aspects of the same one. And you can go to some of the texts and you'll see them used interchangeably. Write down 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. It's a wonderful text where Paul actually uses all three of those in the same two verses to show what the role of this office is. It's helpful to know what an elder does, and I just want to to summarize and and review these things again for further study. I encourage you to read these verses. But an elder is to lead and govern the church. He oversees. He gives direction. In 1 Peter 5.2, the instructions from God to elders are shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you and who admonish you. And so we see from overseer, from episkopos, this idea that an elder is the person or that that group jointly rules the church as a board. It's to be at the head of. And and in this case, it governs every aspect of church life. It's why at Village, all of our boards and all of our ministries and all of our staff ultimately answer to the elder board. Because biblically, the elder board are the overseers of the church over everything that happens here. Sometimes we, we view them as spiritual leaders, and some of the other aspects of their duties are very specific to spiritual leaders, but we must not forget that God has tasked them with being over every aspect of church life. That is an awesome responsibility that that I know our men do not take lightly. Second duty there is to teach and defend sound doctrine. And here we get into some of the spiritual aspects. To teach and defend sound doctrine. We'll look at today that they're to be able to teach. A little bit later, 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so an elder should know God's Word and is able to teach. Third duty there is an elder is to shepherd the flock. That comes from the, the word poimen that we talked about, to shepherd or pastor. And we see in the Hebrews passage that God says, an elder is to keep watch over the souls of the flock. Think about that phrase. And it's one thing, I have little kids, it's one thing to watch the little kids and Susie lets me watch them and make sure they don't die and things like that. But to think of parenting as actually watching over their souls. That I am responsible for their souls. Elders in the household of God are responsible for the souls of every person that comes in that door. Wow, that's a holy moment. That's a sacred moment. And so they're to shepherd the flock watch over the spiritual welfare of the church. Fourth duty there is there to admonish and discipline. We see several verses there, but the the 1 Thessalonians 5.12, they're to admonish you, to correct. Nobody likes this role of eldership. The elders don't like having to do it. People don't like having it done to them. But it's part of how an elder leads, how a family works. Admonish and discipline. 
The elders are to equip the members for service out of Ephesians 4.12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the, God, of the body of Christ. And finally, out of 1 Peter 5.3, elders are to be an example of godly life. Be an example of a godly life. In fact, that's the primary way to lead, is to show people what it means to walk with God. Just like with our own children, they, they imitate more what we do than what we say, don't they? And as a parent, that is the most humbling thing to watch your child disobey you and do exactly what you do. And so an elder is to lead by example to make sure that example is right. And that's really where we come to these seven verses because Paul here says this is the kind of example, these are the kinds of qualifications that these men, these overseers, these elders are to have. And so we come to verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And the first point that, that I want us to get out of this text this morning is the church needs men to aspire to be elders. It is a good thing. Paul starts by saying this is a good task, a noble task, an honorable task, a worthy task. Aspire to it, man. Now, now I need to clarify. There, there can be a difference between an unhealthy ambition and aspiring or reaching for something. And the Greek word for aspire here literally means to, to reach out and take hold of. To seek after. We see it used two other times in the New Testament. Once later in 1 Timothy, where he, he uses it in a negative way. Those that are, are desirous of money that are greedy for money. And again, it's that same word to desire. And then in Hebrews 11, when he's going through the, the hall of faith, Paul or the, the author uses it to say those that aspire to heaven, that look forward to heaven, because life here on earth stinks sometimes. And so they look forward to heaven. And so it's this idea of looking forward to something, of taking hold of something. When we think of unhealthy ambition, that would be someone that is aspiring to, to be an elder for the power, for the glory I get to rule over people. That is not what's being talked about here. And in fact, 1 Peter deals with that directly and says, no, that's not what an elder should be. But it is healthy men to say, I'd like to lead in the church someday. I would like to aspire to that. That is a noble thing. And I think we, I was talking with some of the elders this morning I think so many times churches in America, we set elders on such a high pedestal that we think, I could never go there. And Paul here is telling, first, is telling Timothy, no, it's a good thing to aspire to eldership. It's a good thing to seek that. But then he gives six verses of what it means to be an elder. What it means to aspire to that. And so, man, I challenge you, seek leadership in the church. Aspire to it but do it by following these next six verses. If we are aspiring to be an elder, to be a leader in the church, then we aspire to be qualified. We have a lot of things we have to be qualified for, right? To get a driver's license. Are there qualifications? Praise God. (laughs) You're tested on that. I've got to say it was hard coming here this morning because I think there were a lot of people that had never been tested on the road. (laughs) God was working on my patience. (laughs) For other things, for, think of some of the industries. If you're, if you're an accountant, a CPA, what do you have to do? 
You have to take a test, actually a very intensive test. If you're going to be a lawyer, you have to pass the bar. And so we, in ordinary life, we have all these things that we know. There are qualifications that if we aspire to those roles, we have to meet those qualifications. That's how I want to come to these verses this morning. To say men aspire to be elders, so let's work on getting qualified. Let's work on these qualifications. So let's look through what some of these qualifications are. And it's a daunting list. It's a long list. If you turn the page over, you see that there's a a whole bunch of blanks that we can fill in. And we'll try to go through these very quickly because to go through 15, if we take five minutes each, we'll be out in time for dinner. But we'll go through them pretty quickly. What are the qualifications, starting in verse 2, that Paul gives for elderships? A couple of thoughts about qualifications before we get to them. Many of these apply to all believers. What Paul is painting here is actually a portrait of what a godly man looks like. Not just an elder. And that's the amazing thing, is this is something that we should all be striving for if we're to be godly. Theologian D.A. Carson said, the most remarkable thing about this list is that there's nothing remarkable on it. That it's an unremarkable list. And his point was, these are things that every believer should be striving for. And so we come to it understanding it's about maturity, something that we should all be striving for. It's not all-inclusive. We see in Titus some more qualifications, in 1 Peter 5 some more qualifications. But also this list isn't about perfection. Sometimes it's easy to read this list and say, oops, I, I didn't do that once in my life, I'm not qualified. This list is about characteristics. What characterizes you? And how do we deal with, with times where we don't meet the list? How do we deal with sin in our lives? Do we come back and, and does this list, does this picture of a man characterize us? And so we want to compare potential leaders with these passages. So we start in verse 2. And, and Paul uses just a staccato list here, one after another, and we'll sort of do that this morning with a little bit of commentary on each one. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And so the first item is an elder must be above repro- reproach or blameless in reputation. Have a good moral reputation. This doesn't mean, as I was saying, perfection, but that there is no charge that people can bring against this man. Which means if there was a failure, he's dealt with it. He's taken the right steps. He's apologized. He's asked for forgiveness. He's made it right. And so no one within the church or outside of the church can come and say, oh wait, I have an accusation against this person. It might be a moral accusation. Maybe something at home we'll we'll talk about later in the the text. It may be something at work. Someone can say, ah, that, that man doesn't show integrity at work. Or they had a business deal that that they handled inappropriately, they lied or they stole or they bribed. None of that kind of thing. So it's about integrity and a moral character. No great blot that people can point to. And so when we think of being above reproach, we ask the question, does this man live in a way that keeps himself above reproach? Are there issues that are unresolved or has he dealt with them in a humble, godly, and repentant way? Man, this is first for a reason. And it's first in the Titus list as well. Because being above reproach means our character is sold out for God and we deal with anything that isn't. This is vital. How important is it for us to be above reproach? 
to not let anything in that could taint the gospel, that could taint our ministry. How seriously are you willing to take that? Are we willing to take risks and and ask others to hold us accountable? I can remember when I was first studying to be a pastor here at Village, and I was I was getting out of my business, and some business dealings went just very bad, and and some very difficult situations, and I was being accused of a lot of things. And so one of the things that I did was, to to some of these meetings, I started bringing bringing my brother, who was a godly man and a CPA, and I started bringing one of the elders from Village. Not to defend me. In fact, the first time we walked in, the, the other party who was making all the accusations or, and was forging my name on things and doing things was like, what are they doing here? And they were all suspicious and everything. I, I just want them to hold me accountable. And tell me if I'm wrong here. Tell me if I'm above reproach or not. And that was hard because they, I knew those men were willing to say, Ron, you're blowing it here. You shouldn't have done this. You're, you're guilty here. But those are the kinds of steps. Are we willing to take those to be above reproach? A godly man is. And a godly leader is. Verse 2 goes on. Must be above reproach the husband of one wife. In your notes, an elder must be a faithful husband. The wording here means a one-woman man. I love that phrase, don't you? It's not simply prohibiting polygamy and saying you can't be married to two women at one time although that would be included. But it's saying, are you a faithful man? Are you a one-woman man? Someone that is committed and devoted to your wife. And those are the two words there that really are part of this idea. Commitment and devotion. Commitment means I am devoted or I am committed, I am faithful to my wife no matter what. That means not even a hint of being unfaithful to my wife. Men... That means not even flirting. That means not even having deep relationships with other women that would challenge our faithfulness to our wife and the appearance of that faithfulness. Men, that includes porn. When we view porn, we are being unfaithful to our wives. And let's just put it out there. That's what it is. And it, and it is a challenge to our leadership. It's a challenge to our marriage. And it does not have any place in the life of a godly man. And I read stats all the time of how many men and how many pastors and how many elders are falling because of sexual sin. We must put up boundaries and we must stay away, completely away from that area. It challenges being a one-woman man. Winston Churchill once attended a formal banquet in London Dignitaries were asked the question, if you, could be, if you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? Naturally, everyone was curious about what Winston Churchill would say. And he was seated beside his wife, Clemmy. And it was finally his turn, and, and he was older, and he rose and gave his answer, if I could not be who I am, I would most like to be, and he paused, he took his wife's hand, I would most like to be Lady Churchill's second husband. It's a man that was devoted to his wife. It was a one-woman man. Had eyes for no other. Men, our wives see what we look at. They see what TV commercials we leave on, what TV shows we watch. They see how we talk about women. Leave no doubt that she is your jewel. 
that she is your queen. Leave no doubt. That's what this is talking about. Paul goes on as he's dealt with being above reproach. He's dealt with a marriage. And now he comes to some issues of self-discipline. And the next three really all go together. And you see a little bar off to the left. John Stott calls these issues of self-mastery. I didn't want to steal his, so I I use self-discipline. But it's about having a God-ordered life, an inner life that is dependent on God. And he lists three things. The first being sober-minded. Sober-minded. And and we might think of this as someone that's level-headed or clear-headed, that isn't rattled by things. He can think clearly. Some of your translations say temperate. And he's not just talking about alcohol here. He'll deal with that in a couple of verses. He's saying nothing should control you. No passions, no extremes. It should be a clear-headedness that's focused on God's purpose. He goes on to say self-controlled. And while sober-minded is more about the thought life, self-controlled is how the thought life works itself into actions. And so this man is able to control his emotions, but he's able to control his behavior often in difficult situations. The word has the idea of being thoughtful and prudent, both in thoughts and in actions. And so a a godly man is self-controlled. He doesn't give in to rash decisions. He doesn't give in to, to rash actions. But he controls what he thinks about. He controls what he acts and measures it according to God's Word. Self-controlled also means he steps up and does what he should do. Anyone have trouble hitting the alarm, the snooze button this morning and getting up? I did. I'm like, oh, and and it keeps going off. But but the idea here is that this man is self-controlled. He will do what he's supposed to do, even if it's hard. And men, maybe that's something we need to work on. And finally, the last one in this this triad is respectable. Must be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. It means he'll he'll act honorably, appropriately, decently. His personal life reflects his beliefs. His relationships with others reflects his faith. So the idea is walking with dignity, not crude, not inappropriate but with dignity as becoming a man of God. The next two he comes to are issues of ministry and how we minister to others. And these are two that that deal more with the function of an elder. And so these two, incidentally, are not in the list for deacons because these are, are very specific to elders. The next one is being hospitable. Literally a lover of strangers. And so an elder should be one who is welcoming people. Now that doesn't mean everyone, every man here thinks, oh yeah, I'm just, I just love social settings. I'm not going to raise hands because you guys would be mortified if I actually pointed out who didn't love social settings. But I would bet it's over half the men here. We're just not wired that way. But an elder, and think back to self-control and doing what we're supposed to be doing, an elder will notice someone that's off to the side and go pay attention to them and talk with them and welcome them in. They'll take strangers in. This would have been so important in an era where, where the gospel was just spreading and, and there weren't holiday inns on every corner. And, and so a preacher would come in and as their, a missionary would come in as they're spreading the gospel, they would stay in someone's home, usually one of the elders' homes. 
And that's hospitality. So this was a vital thing, not only for preachers coming in and missionaries coming in, but within the body of Christ. Now this would mean noticing who's alone in the gym. Noticing who hasn't talked with anyone. Noticing someone that just has a a downcast expression on their face and saying, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? An elder is, is hospitable. Part of ministry, the next one that is mentioned there in in verse 2 still, like I said, we're just all in one verse. He should know and teach God's Word. He should be able to teach. Able to teach. This doesn't have to be always up front. It doesn't mean every elder has to be able to preach. It doesn't mean every elder has to be able to stand up and lead a Sunday school class. But it means every elder should know their doctrine, should know their Bible, to be able to instruct others. That instruction might happen one-on-one. That instruction might happen in a group setting. But this comes back to knowing God's Word, loving God's Word. As, as Titus says, to hold firmly to sound doctrine and to be able to encourage and refute those that agree and disagree. And so men, if you aspire to being an elder, aspire to knowing God's Word. Study it. Use your study Bible. As I'm preaching, look at the notes. Yes, it's okay to read something else and break eye contact if you're reading something about the text. During the week, read some of the other texts. Read 1 Peter 5. Read Titus 1. See what God's Word says about eldership. If you're studying a book of the Bible and want a good commentary, come talk to, to Andrew or myself. We'd love to point you in in the direction. We we sort of like books. And we love recommending books. And if if you if you have a book for us, we love buying books. (laughs) Um, Oh yeah, there we go. (laughs) But an elder is committed to God's word and able to pass it on. Very distinctly part of their job. Now from these seven positive qualities, we see Paul turning to four things that can disrupt eldership or can disrupt leadership. And we come to some things that mostly deal with how we treat others and whether or not we treat others well and our attitude and our actions towards others can destroy our reputation and our effectiveness. The next one in verse 3 there is not to be a drunkard. An overseer or an elder must not be a drunkard. Literally, he does not drink too much or he doesn't keep wine close to him. And while it's not a a prohibition against ever having a drop of alcohol, it's saying nothing should control you except the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't rely on anything else except the Holy Spirit. And this is so important when it comes to leadership because leadership is hard. It is daunting. It is draining sometimes. And you can come to the end of a day and you think, I've just got to feel better. And so many guys in different professions will turn to alcohol, will turn to drugs, or turn to other things to try to self-medicate, to feel better. And what we're not turning to is the power of the Holy Spirit who says, trust me, rely on me, let me show my glory and my power through you by sustaining you. That's why it's important that an elder or leader in the church not be a drunkard not be relying on any other enslavements and should be free from those enslavements. The next phrase in verse 3 there is he should not be violent, but gentle. He should be gentle, not violent. 
A godly man does not lash out at others. It's not a bully. It's not pugnacious. In fact, the word for gentle here means to be yielding or low or humble. And this is where we get the idea of servant leadership from because throughout the verses on eldership is the idea of being a servant leader. Yes, there's discipline. Yes, there's admonishment. But always in a gentle and humble way. A shepherd must be compassionate and tender in dealing with the flock. But yet we do know with with church discipline and with protecting the flock, there's times that there has to be firmness. And that is not opposed to the idea of gentleness, which means a bridled power, like a horse with a bit in his mouth. But we must not forget that Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. But yet we saw Jesus overturning tables in the temple and dealing with sin. And both are true. And both are embodied in our Savior and should be in us. And so questions are this. Does does this man calm situations or inflame them? Does he cause problems as he interacts with people? Or does he come in a humble, gentle fashion and is able to share truth without stirring things up? Very important for someone that is leading the flock. Next one goes with it. In fact, some people put all three together. Not be quarrelsome. means peaceful, a non-fighter. Not just disagreeing to be contrary and not being argumentative, but still willing to stand for the truth in a respectful, God-honoring way. This man does not have to voice every disagreement he has. He picks and chooses and he uses discernment for when it's appropriate, when it's important, and what the appropriate setting is. And you can imagine if if we have an elder that is someone that is bullying and quarrelsome and pushing his agenda and pushing his way, that is a challenge to leadership and will create a church that is similar to that. And finally, letter I there, Actually, your letters are a little different. Not be a lover of money. It's the fourth negative thing to avoid that can destroy a ministry. Not greedy for gain. Not be a lover for money. And this goes to their motivation. If this man is being motivated by greed, and that can be money, in our case that can be power, that can be authority, and people can be intoxicated on that, that is not the kind of man we want leading in the church. And so many times I think we put men who are greedy for other things other than money into leadership in the church and that's part of the recipe for disaster. An elder serves because God wants him to serve and makes serving the body his priority, not what he can gain. We go on to verses 4 and 5. A lot more can be said on some of these, but we need to keep moving. Verses 4 or 5, An elder must lead his home well. Must lead his home well. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And just like we talked about the last two weeks, God is using a household, a physical household, to represent his church household. 
And what better way to see how a man will lead, to see how he does in a smaller setting, his own home, and that will be indicative, that will be representative of how he does in a larger setting, the church. And so Paul says, let's look at his family. If we're looking at someone for eldership, if we're looking for someone at leadership in the church, it's okay to look at their family. In fact, we should look at their family. How do they lead? In fact, that word for manage in verse 4 is the same word that's used of elders ruling in other passages. And so we, we ask, how is a man's Christianity working at home? How is his leadership working at home? Howard Hendricks used to say to men in seminary, if your Christianity isn't working at home, don't export it. A lot of wisdom in that statement. If your Christianity isn't working at home, don't export it. And so here we see instructions for how does a man take care of his children. And Paul is is talking very specifically to his household and his children who are living at home. Those that are under his direct authority and under his rule is what these words mean. And so we say, okay, are they in submission to Him? Are they obeying Him? But it's interesting because he says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And the first phrase there is actually how he disciplines, not the results. And we get, we're so results oriented, we want people to, to have perfect children and say, okay, your children have to do this and this and this. And the, the thrust here, and, and so we can be hard and harsh, the thrust here is how do you discipline? Swindoll, and I'm still processing his statement, Swindoll says he worries when a man has perfectly well-behaved children and, and perfectly um, spiritual children. He worries because that is usually the result of an iron fist rather than correct discipline. And it's usually a facade. I'm still thinking about that. I feel the pressure. When my kids act up, and and I praise God for a church like Village where you let my kids be kids. Because my kids are are kids. (laughs) And my boys are boys. And and one of these days you might see them swinging across the rafters or something. That's what they do at home. Um, In fun. (laughs) Respectfully. (laughs) Um, But my kids are kids and they're going to make mistakes. The weird things about kids is they act like kids. And those become teachable moments and training moments. And so it's more about what we do with those moments than whether our kids are perfect. I never want to put that pressure on my kids being in ministry. But I do want to teach them how to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to bring them back to asking for forgiveness and repentance and seeing what Jesus did on the cross for them and living in light of that. And so here he's dealing with dads. What is your tone at home? With all dignity, keeping his children in submission. For if someone does not know how to manage, the word for rule, his own household, how will he care for God's church? And Paul is intentionally bringing in another word that deals with love and grace and care. And he's combining the two of ruling and truth with love, grace, and care. And there must be a balance of the two. Either one, to the exclusion of the other, destroys kids and destroys churches. Truth and love. So dads, don't discipline out of excessive force or sternness. Do your kids follow your example? Do they follow your integrity? 
Or do you discipline out of anger, frustration, and selfishness? The idea here, idea here is that kids respect dad because he has earned respect. Finally, a couple more as we, we wrap up. In verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. The idea is an elder must be spiritually mature. It's a warning against bringing someone into eldership too soon. And it goes on to, um, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. And it's a warning here. Puffed up is that he's being wrapped in smoke or beclouded. You know, sort of like a magician when they want to do something shifty or, or tricky. They, they like throw something down and smoke comes up and it hides what's really happening. That's sort of the idea here of someone that's covered in smoke. You don't really know them. They're puffed up. They're full of hot air. And if we put someone in leadership too fast, too quickly, Satan jumps on that and he attacks our egos, man. He attacks our pride. And I've seen this over and over. When someone craves leadership, not aspires to godly leadership and service, but craves being in charge, when they finally get in charge, what are they usually like? They're tyrants. No one likes to follow them. You often hear me say a good leader is always a good follower first. It's this principle. There has to be a maturity, a provenness that is a, a spiritual maturity. So many times we can say there's a need, like we said at the beginning, and so we delegate it. And delegation is one of the trickiest things in the church because we, can, we must wait to delegate until we have people able to do that job. Spiritually qualified to do that job, especially in the area of pride. As soon as we put someone in leadership that is struggling with pride, we are dooming that ministry. And it's better not to have the ministry than to delegate it inappropriately. And so here, an elder must not be a recent convert. And finally, in verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. He's to have a good reputation with unbelievers. This protects the church from disgrace. But again, our theme is that we're entrusted with the gospel. His purpose is our focus. And if we're living in a, a way that we have a bad reputation with outsiders, and this comes back to reputation, how can we share the gospel? How can we have his purpose be our focus? And so we live in a way that we are respected and able to share the gospel. I'd like to end by doing two things. The first, men, I'd like you to look through that list. This week, keep looking through it. And I'd like you to circle the one that God, the Holy Spirit, is putting on your heart that you need to work on the most, that you need to aspire to grow in. Just circle that. And then, men, I'd like you to take a risk this week. Men, we like risks, right? It's supposed to be what we're about. I want you to take a risk this week, and I want you to tell someone which one you circled and ask them to pray for you. It can be your wife. It can be a brother in Christ. If you want to email me and tell you, I will pray for it for you in that item. Because men, we need to aspire to be elders and leaders in God's church and step up and be about His purpose. 
But we've got to take radical risks and steps to do that, which means getting qualified and ordering our lives to do that. So email me this week. Pastor Ron, pray for me in the area of my marriage. Pray for me in how I lead my family. Pray for me in areas of self-control. And I'll pray for you. And let's step up and be men that are able to lead God's church. The last point there is we need to pray for, support, and follow our elders. We have a whole message on how the Bible says to respond to elders. But I'd like to just put this into practice and ask our elders to come up. We have, and pastors. We have two elders here. One is not feeling well today. So Phil and Juan, if you can come up. Pastor Andrew, if you could come up. And I'd like to end our service today by praying for them. By praying for their role. And at the same time, praying that God would raise up more elders in this church. Those of you that are young men here, junior high and high school, now's the time to aspire to spiritual leadership and start to work on the qualifications. I'm praying that in a couple years, we have a room full of men that are ready to be elders, qualified to be elders. Let's pray for them right now. Dear Lord God, I pray for these men as you have called them to lead your church here at Village. And Lord, I know each of them so well, and I know that they take that responsibility as an awesome, holy, sacred task. They do not take it lightly. And so, Lord, I pray for them that you would protect them, protect their reputations. Lord, help them to be husbands of one wife, one woman men. Lord, help them to raise their families well and to respond in a godly, God-honoring way. Help them to be um, examples at work, examples of integrity. Lord, help them to be examples to all of us of how to walk with You. Help them to know Your Word, to be studying Your Word, to be capable of teaching Your Word and presenting Your Word, Lord. I pray that You'd protect them from the evil one. As we saw in those last two items, Satan is trying to snare men away so they can't be elders. Lord, I pray that you would protect them and protect every man in this church. Lord, I pray for the men at Village that we would step up and get qualified and be leaders as you would have us lead in the church. Lord, even if that takes work, even if that takes risks, help us to do whatever it takes to make your purpose our focus. In Jesus' precious name, amen.